This is Don't Feed the Artists in the Morning. Is that, oh, is that your intro? In the morning? <laughs> Who said that? Adam. No, that wasn't me. <laughs> it's definitely not morning. Morning, and welcome to Don't Feed the Artists. I am Hagen Housheld. And I am Dave. I'm Adam, and I'm moving, so I'm not doing a voice. <laughs> like, why, why, do you, why do you have to make an excuse? Anyway. You're not going to make a voice anyway. Uh, why would yeah. you I feel like I have to have a reason now after you know, oh, the last whatever. few weeks. Wait, we got one more. We got one more. Also. I'm, I'm Jackson, and Adam's moving, so I'm not going to make a voice. <laughs> See? God. I have to stand in solidarity with uh, Adam. You don't so. have to. Yeah. I well, appreciate it, though. Hey. Well, we need to we need to tell the, the folks, the people, the general audience, the 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 people. I don't know. I couldn't think of anything. What? Funny. I, I almost said the Brexiters. What are what are we telling them though? We're we're telling them while we're why we're here. We're Dave telling them that Adam moved, and where did you move to? What is your address? Tell us now. That's also Denton. <laughs> That's I it. live in. I live. My address is Denton. <laughs> home is where the heart is you know mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh dave poured a cold one and i assume he poured a cold one for the reason why we're here today dave's death corner we are here only for dave's death corner that's all we're doing today uh wow, i'm just gonna be short and i can go home <laughs> it just it just Talking about the sad news of Fleetwood Mac's co-founder and influential blues rock guitar player Peter Green has passed away at the age of 73. Uh, he passed away in his sleep. He was, as I said, the founding member of Fleetwood Mac. That was such a weird article that you sent us, Dave, and it just <laughs> said, like, passes away peacefully in his sleep. It said that in the headline i was just like that's such a weird like normally it just says such and such age and then sometimes it'll say like oh cancer or blah 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 but this one was just like oh yeah uh peacefully in his sleep it was very um uh weird not to not to make light of it but like can you imagine having a nightmare and then dying in your sleep (laughs) my favorite uh, hope for how I'm going to die. And I think Mark Marin said this in like one of his comedy specials was he wants to just, he wants his last words to be, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> I think that was Mark Marin. So I, I can't take credit for that. But as soon as he said that, I was like, yeah, I think I, I, I hope for the same thing. <laughs> I want that to be my last words. Just clutch my chest and go, wait, what? <laughs> Or like I, you know you know what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like some uh, Rise of Skywalker shit right there. I don't understand that <laughs> nerds. I don't know. But what let's that move on. Actually. Let's. Let, I, I no, don't I thought, even want to unpack it. I, I don't want to unpack it. I thought that Dave was going to talk about Regis Philbin. Oh yeah, that's why we're here today to talk about Regis Philbin. <laughs> Regis Philbin and his <laughs> budding his music his career, budding Norwegian <laughs> pop career. <laughs> Uh, gone too soon at the age of 88? 88, yeah. Is, yeah. is, is, is a month Christ. shy of 89. Ugh, that's too long. All right. 
So we're we're talking about Fleetwood Mac today. We're specifically only talking about one album. You know what album we're talking about. But before we get into Tusks. that, I will get. <laughs> I was going to yes. say that. That's what I was going to say too. <laughs> Tusks. We're going to talk about, just real quick, I'll give a brief intro. We all know who Fleetwood Mac is. But Fleetwood Mac originated in London, UK, and later ended up having members that we will talk about that were from the US. But the band originally started in the UK. Uh, the name is a mixture of the name uh, from Mick Fleetwood and John McVie, so Fleetwood Mac. Uh, so it's funny because there was there's a ton of lineup changes, which once again, we probably won't talk about all of them. There are some really interesting ones, which uh, I think uh, one member ended up le- leaving because one of the other members slept with his fiance and then Hagen uh, mentioned that before this that one member went off to get a magazine while on tour and then he just disappeared. He never showed back up. This was one of their guitarists, I think, and he ended up uh, joining a religious cult. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I have to look into it more, but uh, the cult he joined is called Children of God. And Children of God did a, a thing called flirty fishing, which a lot of cults did, but more or less, Children of God was a, a sex religious cult. So what they would do is they would send people out and basically be like, hey, I'll fuck you if you like come join my cult, more or less. And then they give them the ideologies and the followings and the teachings of the leader. I can't remember his name. Children of God is terrifying, super duper fucked up cult, and still has ten thousand members today. It's very oh my he's, god. Jer- Jeremy Spencer is still a member. Jeremy he's still Spencer a member, is still yeah. a member. I was gonna say, which is very funny because he's still a member today. And then also, I think the quote is when people have talked to him about it, like because he was on tour, quote unquote, went out to get a magazine and then just never came back. And um, the when people asked him like, Oh, why did you just do that? Why didn't you, you know, join after the tour or didn't tell anyone? And I think the quote from him is, Oh, the person was just really convincing, which is very funny with what you just said. Hagen flirty fishing, flirty fishing. I'm telling you. So the band started in 1967. So, uh, yeah, they've been around for a while. Their original run was from 67 to 1995. And then, had a two-year breakup or hiatus. I'm not quite sure because we're not talking about that. And then got b- back together in 1997 and are still a band to this day. So we all know what we're here to talk about. What are we here to talk about, Hagen? Fleetwood Max Rumors. Uh, so uh, this album is one of those albums that I have no doubt in my mind saying that majority of people on this planet have heard at least one song off of it. Probably more than that, though. Uh, in fact, it only recently left the top 10 albums sold of all time, and it's now at number 11. So it it just now, like in the past year, became number 11 of albums sold of all time. So, I mean, oh. it's still up there. Uh, and by the way, it, 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 was in, it was number eight in that list. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, I'll, I'll go ahead and say that I have very fond memories of this album. My mom loved this album. Uh, it was one of the albums and one of the things that we listened to constant rotation during road trips. Uh, I think maybe as a kid, I didn't like it as much because my mom would wake me up uh, while I'm trying to nap, screaming, Thunder only happens when it's raining. It was really frustrating. <laughs> uh, <laughs> also, like, um, what does that mean? What does, what, like, uh, do they understand how that, that, that's not how it works? Anyway, 
Uh, but I do think that because of those times in the car, my mom showing it to me as a kid, I, I grew a much larger respect for the music and the band as I grew older. Uh, I actually called my mom and talked to her about the album, wanting a perspective from someone who was a fan of the band and the album around the time of their success in this album release. Uh, she had a lot of great things to say about it. Um, she really wasn't interested in the drama side of the whole thing. It was just a very different kind of album. And a, one of the big things that she mentioned was the a large difference was there were two strong, powerful women writing songs and, and you know, on the front of this album. Uh, yeah. It's something that I, I want to make sure we don't gloss over that, that there was there were women in rock and roll at the time. But, I mean, it's the same thing as music is now. It's, a, unfortunately, a boys club. Yeah. Uh, so absolutely amazing for, for, you know, women at the time to see two powerful women and talented women in this band writing these amazingly um, uh, emotional and uh, just, just giving it all away songs. Um, the album was recorded under what you might call tumultuous conditions or maybe <laughs> what you might call scandalous conditions or what you might call cocaine conditions. But <laughs> no matter all what the of the above. <laughs> <laughs> but no matter what the conditions were, uh, they recorded an album that will live on for a very long time. Uh, I want to know what uh, each of you guys' history is with Fleetwood Mac, specifically Rumors, before this recording. Um, I think we know Jackson's. I think he's talked about it before on the podcast. So, uh, Adam, go first. I've listened to some of their music, but not a ton of it. I definitely heard a lot of it growing up um, that my dad would play or my mom would. And uh, I've definitely heard most of this album before. But I don't think I've listened to the whole thing all the way through before. I I remember like hearing these songs like there was some local cover bands where I grew up that would play a lot of these songs and I remember being curious about them and at the time was still into like metal and that kind of stuff and then years later like now my fiance and I regularly go on drives just to get out of the house and we've been listening to this album a lot and just like when we go on road trips we put this album on and I've just I've just grown to respect it so much. And I've played in cover bands that play like you know go your own way and stuff like that. And I'm like, damn, this bass player is killing. So I uh, believe, yes, I have spoken uh, quite a lot about this album on this podcast at some point. And uh, yeah, I I had not I had never listened to this album in its entirety until maybe three or four years ago so like in my early 20s i mean i'm still i'm only 25 but like you know it, it you know i heard some of these songs i really think i had only heard uh go your own way and then uh i heard the chain in um that guardians of the galaxy movie other than that i probably heard fleetwood mac songs but they were so just like uh bleh to me that they were in the background and i don't remember them um I remember hearing Landslide one time at a Smashing Pumpkins concert because they did a cover of it. And I was like, oh, this song's really boring. This is, it must be a new song. <laughs> and, then, and then everybody around me was hugging and they're like, oh man, this is Fleetwood Mac. And I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. So That's I, I'm not a huge song. fan. Yeah, I, I know. Everybody <laughs> tells me that. <laughs> I, so I'm, I'm, I'm not here to be negative about it, but I, I do have to be upfront. Uh, whenever you hear what I've written down about this album, I have never been a fan of this album, and 
yeah, we'll see if that holds true. But I do have a couple uh, little things that we should start with. That Rumors is Fleetwood Mac's 11th album. This is the 11th album. And as I mentioned, they had a bunch of lineup changes. And at this point, they had um, they had John McVie and Fleetwood Mac were the... Or sorry, uh, Mick Fleetwood and John McVie were the only two original members of the band. And then John McVie, he had... His wife was in the band, Christine McVie. Uh, and then when they were on their, they were looking for, you know, a new songwriter because none of them were the primary songwriters at the time. So then they found this guy named Lindsey Buckingham who- Sorry, you should, they, you, uh, let me correct you. They found this complete and utter asshat named Lindsey <laughs> Buckingham. <laughs> yes. Uh, so they found him because he had recorded a uh, very lackluster album called, uh, uh, I don't remember what the album was called, but it was under Buckingham and Nick's. And it was him and his girlfriend at the time, Stevie Nicks. So they asked Lindsey Buckingham, hey, would you like to be the songwriter in this band? We really like your music. Uh, And he said, yes, but only stipulation is my my co-writer, whatever word he used, has to be like my, my wingman has to be with me, which was Stevie Nicks. And they agreed. So that's what you get uh, for the rumors lineup and which is the most famous lineup of Fleetwood Mac is those five members. You have two couples and um, Mick Fleetwood and Mick Fleetwood, Fleetwood just hanging out, <laughs> just being a big old druggie. So you, 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 I've, go no, ahead. Go ahead. I almost jumped the gun. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, the only I only have two other things before uh, you know I'd say I'm really comfortable just getting into the album. But the album, to this day, holds perfect reviews across the board. And when I say that, I don't mean like, a, oh, it has five stars and A-pluses from all these, but then Pitchfork gave it a four. Everything is perfect. Everything. Um, which maybe, in all honesty, maybe that has something to do with uh, my kind of resentment for the album is that you get told, this is perfect, this is amazing, and then you listen to it and you're like, okay, this is good, but like, you know, everybody five out of five that kind of thing um i'm i'm not trying to be negative by the way <laughs> no I, I i agree i think that it's a bit much i think that um I, so i was listening to I, I last week i think you said it was like podcast suicide to mention another podcast on the i don't know that rule uh but i was i was listening to a podcast i really like and they were doing an episode on their favorite albums and uh two out of the three hosts said rumors was their number one and I was like very shocked, very, it's like a lot of people will put that as their number one or at least in their top five albums of all time. And I, I think that people need to listen to more music maybe. It's not that Rumors is a bad album. It's just that like, I think that it's, it, I don't think it can hold that high for that many people. I think you should probably broaden your horizons just a little bit more because it is good. It cannot be number one of all time. It just can't because nothing can be, I don't think. Yeah. So as Hagen was saying, this album has sold extremely well. So all the tumultuous uh, conditions that we're going to speak of a little bit, you know, it led to something great, which is, you know, an interesting idea. What that really means. Can art be made outside of hardship, blah, 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 which we can talk about. But it, well, it uh, sold some a, numbers. For, oh, go ahead. Oh, jump in the God gun. Damn it, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave, I want you to have it. This one's for you. Well, it won Album of the Year at the 20th 
Grammy Awards. And it sold over 45 million copies, making it one of the best-selling albums of all time. That's what we were saying. That's what you guys were saying before. And it also received multiple diamond certifications in several countries. And that's all I have for the numbers. Yeah, that's exactly what I had on my <laughs> minus the Grammy. So, Dave, you nailed it. Nailed uh, it. I, I will say a little bit of an uh, endearing note for me, so I'm not just completely being negative here is uh one year for christmas i had just gotten into um record collecting like vinyl uh and i asked everyone i said you know i have everything i want in life uh but since i'm collecting vinyl if everybody could get me their your favorite album even if you think i'm gonna hate it i want your favorite album so like i wanted my brother to get me his favorite album my dad get me his favorite album my mom all that kind of stuff uh because i was like even if I don't ever listen to it, I know in my collection I have this thing that I can tie to you. That was my idea. So I got all these stu- uh, all these records and stuff like that. Uh, my girlfriend gave me some, all that. And then uh, my mom gave me a Fleetwood Mac record. So I, <laughs> I don't think I've ever listened to it. <laughs> <laughs> and you can just tell her you're saving it. You're just you're like, I'm just saving it for, you know, sometime we sit down and listen to records. <laughs> yeah no I, I i opened this up with like hey i may never listen to the record but i will be able to look in my collection and know hey that's from my mom that kind of stuff so that is yeah. my endearing note i'm ready to get into the album uh i, I want to say one more thing really quick which is uh people in a lot of like in a, uh, talking about this album they keep saying things like uh you know they came out the other side of the all of the things we're going to talk about all the drama they came out the other side with this amazing work um, let's just right off the bat. I just want to make it clear. They came out the other side with a great album and fucking hating each other. Yeah. Hating each other. Like, spoiler alert, they didn't come out the other side all good and ready. You know, they made a bunch of money, but they fucking hated each other. So stop saying they came out the other side like they're all like like squeaky clean and happy all of a sudden because they aren't. They're just not. They're just, like, this was, this was so hard and rough on all of them. I could not imagine how they felt towards each other after this. Yeah. Well, to that point, I think it's amazing they put out albums after that with the same lineup, more or less. Like, that to me seems like that would have been the breaking point, and this would have been it, but... Right. I think they got to a point where they were like, we just work really well. There's a chemistry musically. Well, we've talked about this before on the show, where it's like, you don't necessarily have to be friends to make good music with somebody. Yeah, and that's the way for a lot of things, not just music. Like, I'm sure any if not all of our listeners have somebody that they have either worked with in their past or work with now that like oh we're not great friends or maybe you don't even like the person but you work well together you get the job done so i mean music can be the same way so uh rumors their 11th album is uh the second with this lineup that we were mentioning um and this uh prior to these albums was very much uh, their sound was very much blues rock that or it, it was all over the place you know just kind of <clears> like <throat> generic rock that kind of thing whereas their past their record before this and this album were more in a pop rock uh centered field and i will open up with this is a breezy less than 40 minute listen i was shocked at how short this was and very yeah. thankful for it too yeah me too i was i i was for some, I, I didn't know what I thought. I like, I, I just assumed it was going to be long because everything that we ever have covered is long and and just takes up a lot of time. And I was like, oh, okay, rumors. It's just one album. Even if it's an hour, it's fine. But 
it's, it, ju- it just comes in right under 40 minutes. It's, it's eight songs. It's easy peasy. Nine songs? I don't know. I'll get out. So, Ele- 11 songs. <laughs> wow. I'll leave. Wow. <laughs> I'll get into I'll get into it later why I feel like it's only eight songs. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think Dave will agree with me here. But my favorite part of this album, in what is probably also the most consistent part of this album, is the bass. This very well might be the pinnacle of recorded bass, in my opinion. This is what a bass should sound like. I was absolutely amazed with some of these bass tracks. Even on the opening track, I was listening. I was like, "Oh shit, that's the bass." It sounds so good. There's a whole gamut of sounds on it, and it's just like, it's amazing. I love the bass on this album, even when I was having a bad time, because I listened to this maybe three or four times in preparation for this. I, even when I didn't like the song, I was like, all right, where's the bass? All right, I hear you. I'm sticking with Man, you. This entire record, it's like dead center in the mix, too, and it's very present. Yeah, yeah but you know that, that John McMead didn't play bass on the first song on Secondhand News. That was Lindsey Buckingham. Well, no, he did. Well, Lindsey Buckingham recorded a bass line, and then John McVie re-recorded it, adding some things of his own. Well, he's Lindsey Buckingham is credited for it. He wrote he's the credit- bass line. Oh, okay, okay, I see, I see, I see. And John McVie interpreted it. I remember reading that too, and I was like, "Damn, that's cold." Yeah, but okay. but that goes back to what you're saying before about him being an asshat. Is like one thing I did get from from listening to this again, and you know, it might have been the first time I listened to it in headphones all the way through. There's so much guitar on this. Yeah. And like at sometimes too I'm like man I wish I wish the piano was more pronounced. Yeah, for sure. For sure the piano it needs to it, it, the piano parts are cool and they should be more pronounced. Oh, yeah. I would I would also I'd like to go back to the positive note of the bass playing and say the drums are great on this too. The drums are mm-hmm. absolutely I mean they're so good. Uh and and Mick Fleetwood is just a really really smart drum writer. Uh I I think I might have taken it down, but I found a quote from him saying that uh uh, his dyslexia helped him write some of the drum parts because like there would be like pattern ideas and his dyslexia would get it confused. And so like he would end up like turning everything around. And so then it would come up with the songs they had. It would come up with these great ideas and it worked. I think that's a very that's, interesting concept. There was a, a professional drummer that was watching him that he was playing drums in a band that was opening for them. And uh, they, while they were, on tour, he was like, man, how do you play that part in Go Your Own Way? Like, what, what is that fill? I can't figure it out. I'm watching you every night, and I can't figure it out. He's like, is the snare drum just late? And, and he was like, I, I don't know. I really don't know. <laughs> and he said that by the, by the end of the tour, he was like, yeah, I think I just am bad, and I can't. <laughs> it's just luck. <laughs> I just got lucky. But when you That's watch great. him play, he plays with such conviction, and he looks like a madman. Yeah, it's very true. Hagen, I was going to ask you how you felt about the sounds of the drums on like these types of 70s records. So, by the way, this album came out in 1977. I don't know if we ever said that. but uh, So, 10 years into the, the band's history. But um, there albums like this, like, you know, in this era, in the 60s and the 70s, a lot of drums have this kind of like... It must have been the mics they were using, but if you listen to a Black Sabbath record, they all sound really flat. Like, 
you hit it, there's no reverberation, which by the way, is not necessarily a bad thing, but it was like all of the drums. Like I think a, a modern band that really does this well is the national, all their drums. They don't have this really, you know, big sound. They're really flat. And I think they sound really cool. So I was just curious how, what you thought about that kind Do of thing. Do they just not have a lot of room sound in the mix? No, I, I, I actually was going to say, I think that like, I mean, a lot of these old albums, they have that, like they have those like, reverb from tuning because they don't use any muffling techniques but the but the room that they're in serves it so well that you don't really get that sort of effect the room because the, they're they are recording in big rooms but they are also recording with the whole band together a lot of times so i mean it, the recording process was just different back then than it is now um but there wasn't as much muffling and there wasn't as much like getting the dead sound um as there is now uh people really don't like to hear like any of the reverb or any of the overtones from drums uh, I don't for my sounds. Uh, so I mean, like they, they, the producer talked about how he almost got fired because uh, it took them, it took him five days to get drum sounds. Oh my god! Yeah, five days to get drum sounds. That's insane. There's a lot of history like that where they spent so much time just trying to get, you know, the right sound for things, and then even later on when they finished the record, they had worn it because they were recording to tape at this time period. Uh, right. They had worn the tape out so much that whenever they listened back it sounded off like it sounded like it was detuned because they had worn the tape so much so that they had to get a specialist to come in and basically re-time all of the parts and align them it also helps that they recorded everything except for the chain uh everything was recorded separately they didn't record anything at the same time some bands at the time were doing that but they decided not to. That, I think that was like the norm for a lot of rock bands in the 60s and 70s was to do things all together because it was that live sound and they yeah. wanted to they wanted to get that live feeling and sound across. So that's I mean that's interesting they didn't do it. Um yeah. I I, but, I want to quickly uh just talk about the song, the first song, Secondhand News. Uh, by the way, I wrote that uh my only note for this song is Secondhand News is a bop. Uh, well, I'm going to say it's not. Uh, I'm going to say it, it, it's fine. It's a fine song. It's not a bad song. Uh, shouldn't have been the opener on the album. Bad opener. Stupid. They should, they should, have, they should have switched Dreams and Secondhand News. And I, I want you guys to go back and just, just for funsies, just try Dreams first and then second. It's way better. It's just, it just starts the album in a much better way. I think this is a great opening track. I, I agree with Dave. Uh, out of those two songs, I would much rather hear this song. I think Dreams is a very boring song, and if that was the opener, I would have been like, oh, well, I'm in for a slog. But it makes sense after I this. think Secondhand News is, like, it bores the fuck out of me because the rhythm guitar is so annoying. It just annoys, the, eventually it annoys the <laughs> shit out of me. He said he's I watched an interview with him where he was like, Yeah, we uh in place of a guitar solo, we did a little vocal lead and I'm like, I would have rather hear a guitar solo. Yeah. And I like that part of the song. It just always gets stuck in my fucking head. And then I'm walking around like all day today and yesterday I was walking around my house going, Bam, 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 bam and then or or I'll just go, Do it, do it, do it. Ugh. Yeah, it's uh it's it's just it's just like for me, I don't think it's it's the right 
I don't think it's the right call as an opener. I think that guitar really put me in the wrong place for listening to that for listening to this album. Because I also listened to it multiple times, like you did, and I was like, every time this started, I was just like, God damn it, man! Like I'm not excited for the rest of this because I know what's coming and I know what I want to hear, and this just is like, this is just not the album. But it also was a different album, a different song because like they were intend like uh, Buckingham talked about how this was going to be uh, like not towards Stevie Nicks. Like this is a song that he intentionally wrote so it wasn't about her. And so it definitely put things in a different... I, I think that might have made the song a little bit different in the placement, but who knows? Well, I mean, yeah, he wrote it about moving on from being in a relationship with her. Like, when he when he recorded the song, he didn't show her the, the lyrics. He right. recorded it. He showed her it as an instrumental and was like, hey, we're going to do this song. And it was called, it was called Strummer. God fucking Christ. <laughs> well, let's take a quick break, and let me uh, explain to you the state of the band real quick. So... Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks were dating, but during this uh, album and the writing process, things started to go sour, so they were breaking up and, you know, all the things that come along with that. Christine McVie and uh, John McVie were married, but during the tour of the previous album, Fleetwood Mac, they, uh, in the middle of the tour, started getting a divorce. So you have these two feuding couples, and then you have Mick Fleetwood just getting high as shit. All of them are getting high as shit. All of them are yeah. getting high as shit. But I'm saying, like, that's his thing. That's his <laughs> thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Christine McVie was having a, an, a, a supposed affair with the lighting director, whether or not they were, sep- whether they were separated at the time, but she was having an affair with the lighting director. And Mick Fleetwood's best friend was cheating on, or his wife was cheating on him with his best friend. Yeah. Yep. And then, so Stevie Nicks, I think, started an affair with uh, Mick Fleetwood, if I'm yep. not mistaken. That so, is correct. Yeah, it, uh, it, it's just crazy. I can't wait to tell y'all what my last note is, but I'll, I'll, I'll savor it. That's why they named the album Rumors. It was, uh, um, I can't believe, I can't remember the bass player's name right now. John McVie. John McVie. It was John McVie's idea because he was like, "It sounds like you guys are just writing in your diaries about each other." So let's let's all let's call it rumors. Yeah, <laughs> they were gonna call it the working title was "Yesterday's Gone." Blame name. Yeah, <laughs> Adam's the first thing Adam said in ten minutes. <laughs> just try lame name. Well, no, I was gonna say one thing, but Hagen was getting into it about the recording sound, and I think it is weird that this album sounds so different than other albums of the same era and i mean dude it's lindsey buckingham he just took over oh and listening to it in headphones for the first time all the way through was like totally different than what i thought most of these songs that i recognized sounded like so that was kind of you know interesting to hear i do agree though that first song is no good so as an opener (laughs) yes (laughs) um in the in the song in the song you talk about drums in the song you make loving fun uh the hi-hat symbol like all the symbols are panned entirely to the right channel yeah, stupid. And it's, it's the only song in the album that does that. Like there are yeah. some, oh, there are some Beatles recordings where Ringo is entirely in the right channel and everything else is in the left channel. Well, that, that but, was because they just discovered stereo recording at that time for the Beatles. Right, I don't know so what they, the they didn't really here. know what to do with it. Yeah, I think it's it's Lindsey Buckingham being like, dude, we got to have space for the mandolin. Oh my 
God. Which which what? Cream album is it where like they had just discovered? I think it was Disraeli Gears, where they had just like figured out like, oh, we can pan stuff. Like this is stereo sound, and like all the drums, like all of the drums are in the left, and like all the guitar on the right, and then like the bass and the vocals are right in the middle. It is just crazy, it's awful. but it, it's super cool. It's but terrible. that came out in like the the '60s. Um, what do y'all think about Dreams? I don't like it. Um, it's, so it's a couple things about it. Stevie Nicks claims to have composed this song in 10 minutes. And there's a, she's a kind of sometimes a very wordy writer. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, she's a, a very nonsensical writer. Uh, yeah. it's like, it's, it depth like her words, I think are just like stream of conscious. Here we go. I'm just going to put it on the page and then I'm going to sing it. And people are going to think that it means so many more things than it actually does. Not saying her songs don't mean anything because they do mean a lot. But again, I'm going to go back to Thunder Only Happens When It Rains. Do you, that is not true. That is not how Thunder works. I'm well, so hey, you know, preach. Maybe, maybe that's how that works when you're doing coke every day. And that's what you think about. <laughs> Do you think weather people are like, no, nope, not this song. Like they listen to secondhand news and then skip dreams. They catch their kid listening oh, to that song and they're like, turn that off right now. I think that this song, the production, and all the way, the way that the, that they use the different instruments for the different verses is a masterclass in how to make two chords last that long. Yeah, for sure. Because I didn't even think about the fact that it, this song is largely only two chords. There are inversions in the, some of the guitar parts that Lindsey Buckingham does. But like, I think the third, second or third verse, there's like just a vibraphone that's hitting and it's bouncing from left to right or from right to left. And it was like, I was like, man, this is so cool. Yeah, I would, I would also like to say that the the accents chosen for that song are so smart like constantly just like shifting them to like a big beat to hit i mean that that's what makes that's what sticks out to that song so much and again about mick fleetwood's playing is it's like i don't think most people would hear like just uh, instinctively hear like a big hit on beat two to get into a chorus and get into a verse and so on but that is how he heard it and it just works so well it just works unbelievably well and i think the first time it happens is when she says thunder so it sounds like a thunder crash I think he. I think he opens the song with it. It the song opens with. Oh the fill. right, the fill. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. You're right. That's so cool. Oh, but one thing that's also really cool is when, when Stevie Nicks sings, uh, "Rap, rap around your dreams," and John McVie follows it. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. For me, I was like, "This is great," because the entire song he's doing basically a static bass line. Boom, 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 and then he goes boom, 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 and I'm like, "That's so cool, man." <laughs> Yeah, I I also uh, again like a really interesting drum choice to get super nerdy is that the kick pattern does not line up. It lines up with the bass pattern, but you're saying the bass goes doom 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 doom, and the bass and the the bass drum just hits on the downbeat doom. Yeah, it, it does. It doesn't do the doom 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 doom. It's just doom doom, which is it's, reverse of a samba pattern where you're going doom 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 doom. Yeah, dun, exactly. Yeah, kick drum and the bass is just going boom. Boom, boom, boom. Yeah. It's very yeah. cool. It's it not makes intentional, you wonder, I'm sure, but <laughs> that's what I was gonna say. It makes you wonder how intentional it is for stuff like that. I don't I don't think wow. it's intentional at all. You guys lost me so hard there. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me bring you back in for a second. Uh I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna play a game with you guys. Are you ready or do you wanna uh, Jackson, go ahead and say your thing if you want really quick. I'm worried what I was gonna say is gonna tie into this next song, so just go ahead. 
Well, so so uh, th- this game is actually not about dreams. The so the game is about just a few songs. Uh, the game is questions about rumors that aren't about who is sleeping with who. Um, so. <laughs> In the song Secondhand News, what is the non-traditional percussion instrument that uh, that Buckingham used? If anybody knows before I before I read it out, then you get two points. Uh, Any, anybody know what it was? Is it a djembe? Oh, I know oh, it. It's a I know it. Chair. It's, it's a, a chair. It's a chair. Yep. <laughs> I, I, I didn't correct. know that. I'm glad somebody did. <laughs> it's a leather chair. That's correct. He used a yep. chair, uh, saying, uh, basically, quote, the song itself consists of kind of a Scottish-Irish folk influences, and maybe when we first started cutting it, we started doing something that was maybe a little translational of that, like maybe a march time on snare with brushes. That was his reasoning for hitting a fucking chair. And then <laughs> and then he heard a Bee Gees song and was like, wait a second. Yes! <laughs> and you know what, my friends? That's cocaine for you. <laughs> Here's my question for you, Hagen. Do you know how often uh, to get the sound of the acoustic guitar on the next song, Never Going Back Again, how often they changed his guitar strings? That was actually going to be, that's, that's the next question in the game, so don't answer it. Here you go, that's guys. why I, that, that's why I held back, because I was like, I'm worried that Hagen's going to mention he, he, this as a question. So Adam, Dave, don't look Adam, it up. Dave, Adam, you don't know the answer to this, right? How, uh, I do. So, so okay, so uh, you, you, you know why? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> okay. So it just Adam to let, to let you know, it took it took it took him an entire day to record the guitar part for Never Going Back Again. Uh, was it because uh, he kept taking cocaine breaks because he had to yell at Stevie Nicks because he was changing his strings every twenty minutes, or because he was changing the part around? All of the above. <laughs> <laughs> they all seem possible. <laughs> More specifically, he was changing his strings every twenty minutes. Which I guarantee you, he wasn't changing his strings. Well, I no, guarantee you, tech. the text. Yes, yeah. three here's times the, an hour. Poor guy. Yeah, here's the, here's the quote from the producer. Uh, I noticed that anytime he played, there was a big different uh, difference in how bright his strings sounded just after twenty minutes. Uh, so I said, "quote Can we restring the guitar every twenty minutes? I wanted to get the best sound on every one of his picking parts. I'm sure the roadies wanted to kill me. Restringing the guitar three times and every hour was a bitch. But Lindsay had lots of parts on the song, and each one sounded magnificent." Oh, and guess what? At the end of the day, they did it for a full day. They did this song. Yeah, when he was and going to do they... vocal overdubs. Yeah, when they found out. Uh, when he was about to do the vocal overdubs, it was in the wrong key, so they had to redo it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but this this wasn't like I, I mentioned. It took them five days to get the to get drum sounds. They also uh, the the band reportedly required four days, nine pianos, and three tuners to find a suitable instrument for Christine McVie. They apparently Ridiculous. took all the clocks off the walls yep. so they couldn't see that shit. It's just crazy. All the again, stories again. That's cocaine. Yeah, yeah, I should have I should have copied the quote, but I, I forgot to. But there was a quote from uh, I think it was from uh, at the time Buckingham's girlfriend who wrote a book like twenty or thirty years later about this session, and I believe she said something on the lines of like uh, they would like basically just party all day and like they would only start recording some days around like one or two a.m. once like all like the drugs and the and like the alcohol has been like really hitting them and they literally have no energy to do anything else that's when they would go record and then also the studio had no windows so yeah no windows and Lindsay Buckingham was like I think that's when we worked our best yeah (laughs) 
it's like oh, really i mean it's a great album so yeah i guess so but like i don't know yeah there was also a quote i read that was like uh, i think i think it was lindsey buckingham saying like uh you know doing that much coke is like really bad for you but you know we have a strong we had a strong will so we could get through it it's like go fuck yourself buddy go fuck yourself well and part of it too was that like the girls were at, at the time of recording they had two condos Lindsay, yeah, yeah. They had two condos for, you know, sometimes they would switch which one they slept in because sometimes John McVeigh would be walking around the condos screaming at the top of his lungs. So they were hiding in each other's rooms to get away from him. And that's because the guys were all living in the studio, like the house that was connected to the studio. And uh, Lindsey Buckingham said, uh, or sorry, it was Mick Fleetwood. He said, um, uh, you can't even imagine the things that went on in that house. <laughs> And then yeah. the, and the thing I was watching, and then it cuts to Lindsey Buckingham, and he goes, budget was not a concern. <laughs> <laughs> and then, like, Stevie Nicks is like, we didn't buy any cocaine. It was just there. And then, you know, so there's conflicting things of, like, Lindsey Buckingham's oh. like, budget was not a concern. No, that's false. That's that's false. And I'll, I'll just take you to our last question now, because that is false. Uh, the 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 last question I have is is a truer. That's not doesn't mean we're like done with the episode, everybody. But I just it's relevant. Is yeah, it true sorry, or false? <laughs> Did the band end up thanking their coke dealer in the album credits? They did, but he died. He got snuffed. I think is what they said. He got killed. They ended because up, of that. No, no, no. They ended up not thanking him. They were about to thank him. But it's because he did get snuffed because they because he did get caught, so they ended up not putting him in the album credits. But they really wanted to put him in the album credits. So what is they snuffed? Wanna, he he got he got caught. Oh okay. Yeah. Uh, so oh, and by the way, there's a great story of uh, apparently their producer because he was just watching these like the rampant use of cocaine. There's this story of he one day when they were walking into the studio had a bag of what looked like cocaine but it was actually just like baking soda or some shit like that and he acted like he tripped and dumped it all out on the studio carpet and he said that he thought he was going to get fired on the spot because he the look in all their eyes because they looked like they wanted to kill him but he immediately was like oh no that wasn't that wasn't cocaine it was just a joke that's another story that um at the time uh Lindsay Buckingham's girlfriend just told that story in her book that was like when they started touring this album their manager got them in a circle and they all put their it's the first first night of tour and they all put their fists out like it was a ritual just to do a just to do a bump of coke right before they went out it was like it was it was that ritualistic for them where it was just like they all had it they, they got together and they did it all together and it was just i mean it, it's like us taking shots we all right. we take shots we cheer something we, we 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 don't have to like really communicate we just look at each other and like make a little motion and we all know and that was them with cocaine and lindsey buckingham and mick fleetwood both are credited as saying like we didn't know that it was bad <laughs> what the fuck he was like, it, he was like, it's just, it was just part of the culture. So everybody did it, and we just didn't even think about it. We just did it as much as we could. Lord, Let, let's move back into the music a little bit. Uh, unless <laughs> you guys have music. anything, yeah, this is yeah. what created it. So, uh, you know, I'm just gonna skip around here. But uh, "Go Your Own Way" was one of the songs that I knew before listening to this album. It's a good song. I mean, this is a good hit. I mean. I get okay. why people like this song. Yeah, it's a 
it's a good song and it's brutal as fuck and it's absolutely oh, yeah. brutal as fuck yeah. that, like i mean all of you know about uh, you know singing about the breakup all these things uh, singing about you know why he hates stevie nicks or whatever and then he makes stevie nicks sing on the song well yeah, so he i have a quote from him he said i was or er, uh yeah i was completely devastated when she took off and yet uh i had to make hits for her i had to do a lot of things for her that i really didn't want to do and yet I did them. So on one level, I was a complete professional in rising above that. <laughs> oh my God! Read complete asshat. Uh, <laughs> but there was a lot of pent up frustration and anger towards Stevie and me for many years. So Buck, Lindsey Buckingham came to the conclusion that the songwriting process helped him come to terms with reality, despite well, you know the fallout. Upon listening to the song, Stevie Nicks demanded that he remove the line "packing up, shacking up" is all you want to do but he ultimately decided to keep those lyrics in the final song. And she explained her feelings about it, saying, I very much resented him telling the world that packing up, shacking up with different men is all he ever wanted to do. He knew it wasn't true. It was just an angry thing he said. And every time those words come out on stage, I want to go over there and kill him. And she God said, damn. he knew it, so he really pushed my buttons through that. And it was like, I'll make you suffer for leaving me. And I did. Fucking fucking jackass. What a fucking dick. I don't know if it was this song, but apparently every time, like, they would... Because whenever you're recording on tape, you can't just stop it and then press it again and it'll start back. Like, you have to rewind it. Yeah, everybody should know that. It's, you know. But, uh, so, in, like, the 10 seconds it would take the engineers to roll back the tape while they were doing their vocals, uh... If you had Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks in the same room, that 10 seconds is all it took for them to be screaming at each other between these vocal takes, apparently. So, yeah, it just yep. shows how volatile yep. it was. So, yeah. uh, I mean, like, I, I think Go Your Own Way is a good song. I mean, like, it's yeah. catchy. They recorded it. It took. They recorded it in three different studios. Wow. <laughs> Jesus. I don't know. I hear whenever I hear stuff like that, like Radiohead has stories like that. I'm like, hell yeah, fuck yeah. But then I hear it with a band that I don't like, and I'm like, Jesus, like I, I can't even tell. So I know I'm definitely I have a double standard. So I need to be uh, aware of that. I, I definitely so uh, the end of side A is the song Songbird, which I think is by far the best song on the whole album. I think it is. The only song that I actually had feelings when I heard it, because I was like, oh, this is really pretty. I don't know this song. And it's just like, it's really beautiful. It's Christine McBee basically just playing piano and singing. It's a ballad. Um, And by the way, she's the only one uh, who was classically trained. I don't know how much that plays into the band. But uh, yeah, Songbird is definitely my favorite song on this whole album. Well, And they recorded it at Zellerbach Auditorium because they were like, thinking about how it needed to be more open sounding so they used 15 mics to record it and they set the stage up with like uh, a bottle of champagne on the piano and a bouquet of flowers and had the lights fixed in on the flowers and they it took them all night to get that recording because she had to do it in that she was doing it like singing and playing piano and it wasn't separated uh they, they had to get a good take so it took her that long to get through it but even in this song, a fucking ballad with just piano and vocals, Lindsey Buckingham is in the track, walking around stage, playing the guitar to help her keep time. 
What a jackass. What a fucking jackass. She... Uh... And so John McVie and Mick Fleetwood said that every time they would play that, they would get to that song on tour, those two guys would stand next to each other in the wings and sob like babies. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and then when they were talking about doing the reunion and deciding whether or not, you know, she wanted to play that song, she said, I don't want to because I cry every time I play it. And they were like, you too? <laughs> <laughs> what assholes. <laughs> I want to I want to uh, uh, backtrack for just one second. I, I, I mean, I want I want to say that Christine McVie is a very different songwriter in the whole setting of the band, uh, and 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 her songs stick out a whole lot um, in comparison. And and I would say in a good way, in a very very good way. They they definitely give you a nice break from uh, the Buckingham uh, of it all. Uh, but don't stop. I do like don't stop but it sounds like the intro to Full House or some other show like that. It 100% sounds like an 80s, 90s like sitcom opening. It's because of the shuffle, the shuffle piano. like. Yeah, the Full House theme is way better than that song. I listened to that, and I was like, man, this is some hokey-ass shit. It is. <laughs> it, it, shit. Spe- speaking of that song, I thought it was funny that this was the theme song for Bill Clinton's presidential campaign. Yeah. Oh, Yeah. Yeah, it was. So and it, it helped. It helped it. It helped it get back to number one. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, like later in the year. because they've had a lot of that where their songs will be picked up in something like the Guardians movie, and it's you know back in the charts. But it's funny that that's you know we've been talking about bands trying to or Trump's campaign trying to use band songs and how much that's failing. And Fleetwood Mac were just like, yeah, I mean they played uh, the night that he won. They yeah. played that song. But the, yeah. so one thing I didn't know about it, I didn't know that she sang the second verse. What that Christine McVie sang the second verse? Yeah, I didn't know that was uh, her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I think that I, that's the thing about her song. Her songs they stick out in a different way. But I would also say that like they kind of like her voice isn't. I mean, it it is hard to stick her in with people like Stevie Nicks and. Lindsey Buckingham because their voices and their songs are so strong because they're such like pompous jackasses and <laughs> I, I, I'm Christine McVie I'm sure has some level of that but like her songs don't come across that way they come across much more like thoughtful pretty uh, ballads I mean I mean like we said songbirds a ballad so I mean they come across in this in this this much better way I think and so I think her voice necessarily doesn't stick out as much as the songs do as a whole. Yeah, and she said that this song was about was loosely about John McVie, but that a quote from her, she said, "But I'm just definitely not a pessimist." Yeah, which yeah. is like I, I always feel kind of like that sounds a little suspect if you have to tell someone you're not a pessimist. Like, well, I'm not. I, I'm not a pessimist. Well, but I think that in the context of this album, it's probably important for her to be like, just so you know, I'm not like that. I'm not like them who are angry over there. I'm writing the optimistic shit over here. Right, I am yeah. sad, but I'm not I'm not angry all the time. I mean, know? that is very, those lyrics, it's the first song, it's the fourth song on the album, it's the first time we get any sort of positivity in the lyrics. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Like, don't, don't stop, you know, thinking about tomorrow. Like, if you're having a bad day, you can wake up tomorrow and it's a new one, people. <laughs> Hell yeah! Well, let's get back into the negativity. Uh, the chain, <laughs> which, in in my humble opinion, is the last good song on the record. Um, this is yeah. I mean, it's a pretty cool song. The uh, kind of the change at the end, where the the bass kind of ushers it into this like. Well, I, you, they started with that. 
They really? started, yeah, that was the only thing they had at the beginning, and they wrestled with this song a lot. It's also the only song on the album credited to all five members. But uh, I think it was it was Stevie Nicks donated the lyrics, and I think uh, um, Lindsey Buckingham had the the idea for the intro from a Buckingham Nick song, and you know John McVeigh wrote that bass part. So yeah, it was. Uh, so one thing I did find interesting was that people were saying that bass and drums were recorded. At this, in the same room, and that was the only thing on the album recorded in the same room. But then other sources were saying that it was it was bass drums and guitar. There doesn't seem to be like a consensus on what how that was actually recorded. Yeah, because they don't well, remember because you know, they were coked of out of their fucking yeah. mind. Well, yeah, and and they did it all night, I think. Cocaine? Yeah, every night, all night. <laughs> but that's My like switch. As a as a bass player, I love I love like. Cocaine? Open, every time I hit an open A, I think about that bass line. I'm like, and I always play it. And none of my students know it. Yeah, there's, I, 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 I will not, I, I won't say anything past I know a lot of bass players that do that every time they play an open A. And uh, I, like, as I hear, as I was listening to this album, I was, I, that song came on, I was like, oh man, that is annoying. That is, it's a good bass line, but like every time a bass player plays an open A and they do that, I'm just like, God, oh, man, we don't uh, get, we don't get the spotlight that often. And it's in the middle not, not of the song. A, I'm not talking about, a, I'm not talking about it's bad in the song. I'm saying that it reminded me how annoying it was to hear like it, it's, it's, I mean, it is bad when like, you know, a drummer's just like dicking around while like before you rehearse and whatnot, but so many bass players, that's their go-to. And whenever they play an open A, I'm just like, God. Uh, well, and then if I, if, I, one. if I play an open E, I play another one, Bites the Dust. If I play an open D, I play Under Pressure. That's just the way it goes. And Dave only knows three songs. <laughs> He's available for lessons right now. Yeah, available. <laughs> yes. only oh, you, you want to you learn, you you learn that White Stripe song? How about Under Pressure? <laughs> <laughs> that White Stripe song? Yeah, sorry, that, that uh, what, what the fuck are they called? I have no fucking clue. You're talking about Seven Nation Man. Army? Uh, no, well, that's the that's the White Stripe song I'm talking about. But I'm talking oh. about uh, Twenty One Pilots. Oh, great. Okay. What's Moving that song on? that was? What's that song that was in Suicide Squad? <laughs> Moving on. Oh, Heathens. Oh, Heathens. Heathens. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's those yeah. two songs. They want to learn Heathens and Seven Nation Army. So I got a few more notes, but I'm going to let you guys drive the rest of this because I have nothing nice to say. After yeah. well, that, before we after move on, I just want to say I think this is my favorite song on the album, and I also agree with Jackson. It's probably the last like great song on here. Yeah, I would I would say that um, I really don't have a lot to say about the last three as much as as much as the others. And I I wrote down. So I mean I, I really do think four. that. Uh, yeah, sorry. I really wait what. <laughs> What are you talking about? The last the, four. You make loving fun. I don't want to know. Oh, daddy and Goldus one. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry. Yeah, um, yeah. I clearly I, I have lots to say about this. <laughs> I, I I think that like there's 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 good things to say about the other the the, the last four, but I mean, it sucks because like it, the Christine McVie stuff does stick out, and, and she is a good songwriter. But at the end of the day, like putting them in like on this album full of like a lot of bangers and well-known songs especially as you know those songs growing up you come back to this and you're like god man like the first one was cool and now i'm just kind of like bored uh we didn't yeah. have to do this we didn't have to do this this many times 
or just put it on a different album, figure out a different way to make this work because this could work in another setting, but it doesn't work here. So here, here's what I wrote uh, on You Make Love and Fun. I'm not a fan of this song as a whole, but the singing is just wonderful. I think her singing just nails it. Not a super big fan of the song, but uh, and then the song I Don't Want to Know. Even when I'm not into this song, the vocal harmonies are undeniably spectacular. It's just like a lot of the stuff, that's what I'm like, even though I don't like this album as a whole, there are parts like the bass is just so consistent on every single song that like I know that even if I don't like this, I can go to that. Vocal harmonies are just so like these people, like their voices just they match so well or they work together so well and then also here's a huge difference between this music and similar modern music is when people write about a similar subject matter nowadays the song has to be in a minor key and it's brooding when they're talking about these like you know heavy subjects but this album shows that upbeat pop songs pop rock songs whatever you want to call them can be contemplative in subject matter too i mean you have these songs that are like this is literally talking about this dude that I'm getting a divorce with right now. And it still like people can listen to it and be like, Oh, that's, you know, a pop song. I get, I'm so curious whenever this album came out, how omnipresent was the, all this drama was this like in the forefront or did people just listen to this? And, you know, maybe Hagen, you know, from your mom, did they just buy the album? They're like, fuck yeah, this is so good. So the drama was like, I mean, people knew it, but I mean, the, the media wasn't the same as it is now. So yeah. getting, getting that information just wasn't the same as we, as we see it now. Um, I think that people just like bought the album because my, from my, my, my mom said it was just like, it was just a good album. You just heard it was a good album. It was like, it was, it was destroying records. It was number one. It was number one for 31 weeks, I think in the U S for, for something crazy like that. Um, yeah, it was and, a long time. And so, like, I mean, you just bought the album because it was good. Um, you know, it's funny. I think we got a note recently from a fan that said less Cambria. I think we got that note. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck you, whoever said that. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I think that people were just more interested in the songs. And then, and, I mean, also back then, I think that people were listening to the lyrics a lot more intently than people listen to lyrics now. So you listen to these lyrics, and a lot of people were finding their own, like, meanings to them for themselves, like you always do. But, I mean, the, it was pretty obvious what was going on when you listened to the lyrics. Like, something was up. They were all—and, I mean, it was news that, you know, they were breaking up and there were divorces. But I think that that made a really big difference just uh, off the bat is, like, the media is not the same, so you go buy it. And then right. you're like, holy shit, man, this is better than the story. My story is on television. Like, this is so good. But as, as a person listening to the album, if you don't know anything about what was going on in the band at the time, when you listen to a song like You Make Love and Fun, you would think everything's fine in the band. Dude, when I, in reality, would... that song is about her affair slash relationship that she had with the lighting director. It would be so interesting to find a person that doesn't know anything about this album, right? Because a lot of people know what what was happening in the recording of this album, even if they've never heard it or heard the whole, whole thing. Um, right. I think it'd be very interesting to take them and have them listen to it and see what they think. It's like the songs are about and see if they have any guesses of like what was going on. Right. Yeah. Uh, and the album while we, uh, sorry, the, the song, I don't want to know it was, that was an older song that Stevie Nicks had before 
well, like before she was in Fleetwood Mac, and they originally were going to put her song Silver Springs on the album instead of this one. This one wasn't even considered, but it wouldn't fit technically. So uh, Lindsey Buckingham recorded the song because he knew how she sang it. And then they the band broke it to her and were like, hey, you got to come in and sing harmonies on this. And she was like, I don't want to do it because I don't really like this song for this album. But then she was like, but I didn't want to only have two writing credits on the album. So I just went with it. Right. And also, I think that um, I think that with with the two of them, um, they they really, I mean, Buckingham just took advantage of every situation that he could. I think, yeah. Um, and with, with Silver Springs, I, I I read a couple different reasons why that didn't make it. When when you said there were four left, and I I was miscounting, I thought that you were talking about that one, and I was like, oh no, I don't want to talk about that one. Um, <laughs> I didn't listen to that shit. Uh, but uh, I think that it, that there were a couple reasons why that didn't make it, and uh, I, I read the, one reason was that Stevie Nicks didn't want it there. That it was like this is this just doesn't belong. So it's interesting that the, she also didn't think I don't want to know didn't belong. Long. Yeah, she just I think it was because it was not a part of Fleetwood Mac. It wasn't right. an original song from them. Yeah. Yeah, but Buckingham just yeah. took advantage of every chance he could. Every fucking chance. What's really weird is that this album, we mentioned how short it was, but then like the last three tracks, I just like I just I tail off. I know that I said I don't like this album, but like it just gets like there's just nothing there on those last three songs for me, which are I don't want to know. Oh, Daddy, and uh, Gold Dust Woman. I do have a note for Oh, Daddy. It is Oh, Daddy, more like Yes, Daddy. No comment on this song. I just wanted to say that. <laughs> well, it was that was written for Mick Fleetwood because at the time he was the only one in the band that was a daddy, and so yeah. they they started calling him Big Daddy. <laughs> uh, he is a very tall man. What are your what are your thoughts on uh, Gold Dust Woman, Dave? Uh, so I have a quote from Stevie Nicks. She said, "Gold Dust Woman was a little about drugs," and then in the very next sentence said, "It was about cocaine." You, you know, she denied that for a long time, right? Yeah, you know yeah, that, that, until she got clean. Yeah, and, and, and she denied that for so long, and then finally, when she said it, everyone was like, "Fucking thank you." Yes, yeah. we knew it was about cocaine. <laughs> it's just good to hear you admit it. Yeah. I think, honestly, too, she ended up getting a deviated septum and wasn't sure at some point in time if she was ever going to be able to sing again the same you can, way. You can hear her voice change throughout her career. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, you can hear that with with most singers, but you can hear her voice change because of cocaine at yep. not a good age for her. And But on this track in particular, her vocals, as the song progresses, you get that classic Stevie Nicks, like the little rasp in her voice when she's singing in a higher register. And it sounds incredible. So I think this is a great way to end the album. I didn't like Lindsey Buckingham's little squealing at the end of the song where he was going kind of screaming kind of crazy. If you go back and listen to it, it's it's like, yeah, dude, again, that's what cocaine sounds like. <laughs> um, what else did I have for this? I think. Probably nothing yeah. else because that's all. That's I mean that's the, the, the song. The song's cool, but it's just it. it for, to me, it feels like a lackluster ending. It could have. It could have been like I don't know. They 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 could it could have been more. I don't know. But like they they talk about how it's cool because it has electric harpsichord and a cowbell on it. I'm like, what the fuck does that matter? How what? There's a, cool. There's a fucking cowbell on a song. Why are you talking about it? That doesn't matter. That's so irrelevant. Yeah. Yeah. I think they they must have had a hard time trying to figure out what the song order was going to be for this album because they are like their aim was to make a really pop record 
and they wanted every song to be great. They didn't want any filler. So when you end up with a, I mean, even if you don't like Oh Daddy, I Don't Want to Know, and Gold Dust Woman, and You Make Love and Fun, they're still great songs. Yeah, they are. I I definitely agree with that. I think that the order is tricky. I get why the chain is where it is, because you have like two sides to deal with, and it makes sense to put it there. It would be interesting to hear that as the last song, though. I think that yeah. would be yeah. a very interesting last song on the album if they didn't have to deal with like side one, side two. That's a, yeah, actually, that's a really good point. Yeah, I, I I think if I was gonna rate this album, I would give it a four or a five out of eleven. Hold on a second, Rolling Stones on the phone right now because they're gonna they're gonna cancel you for not giving this a good. A it's good okay. Score. Here, I'll give you my full written review. In summary, they all fucking. <laughs> <laughs> man i think i think more more importantly i really i mean i've just said it so many times the cocaine was so important like the, oh my the, god them them all fucking is definitely like such an important thing but i mean we've we it's so it's so important to think about how much cocaine they were doing oh yeah my it, god. It, it's so weird to like i i don't really prescribe to this uh really uh this idea that oh you can only write Art or good art can only come from suffering. I, I really don't agree with that, but I I mean this is one of those situations where you cannot argue that they weren't all suffering in some way. Even if they were right. doing drugs that heavily, and you're just the drummer getting high, like you don't get hi- that high all the time because you're doing great. So, well, and I, I mean, yeah. That's there was one thing that, that Stevie Nicks said that really kind of hit home for me with the, the the reality of what they were going through because they it took them like thirteen months, twelve or thirteen months to record, right? And she said uh, she was like, imagine, picture your most intimate relationship that you've had for a long time, and then you break up, and you don't see them the next day. She was like, we broke up and had to see each other every day, all day for the next year. Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. and uh, an interviewer asked uh, Lindsey Buckingham's ex, who wrote the book about about the recording process, asked her about uh, like why do you think it still is prevalent today? Why do you think their feelings are still like like this emotion between them is still so raw for people to listen and for them? And she was like, well, because it's immortalized in these songs and these hit songs. It's like their emotions and their breakup is forever immortalized. So they will forever have this tension between them, whether it be sexual, emotional, or anything that will constantly exist with them because it's so, I mean, these are, this was, this was in the top 10 albums of all time. I mean, this is never going to, this is going to go away for a long time. I'm not going to say never, but this, this album is not going to disappear from the spotlight for a long time it's gonna I think continue it'll, I, to be yeah. relevant I, w- I, w- I would be comfortable with saying that it's always gonna be brought back up yeah i mean it's and and it's it, it's one of those things again where it's like people just know the drama behind the album now so it really is just immortalized with them forever and they will forever constantly on stage and personally just have that tension and i couldn't i couldn't imagine that i couldn't Im- I, and i also couldn't imagine doing that much cocaine but you know, well, tomato, they're all, tomato cocaine. They're all <laughs> they're all sober now, I think. And uh, even though they're still playing, like Lindsey Buckingham is not in the band anymore. Mike Campbell he got from, kicked out in uh, 2018 unexpectedly. Yeah. By the way, and yeah, he tried, Mike, he tried to sue them for kicking him out. Yeah, it was right before a tour, I believe, and he tried to he tried to sue them because he was losing a bunch of money. 
so when people who have millions and millions of dollars <laughs> say they're losing a bunch of money, does that piss you guys off? Uh, yeah, but I mean, Lindsey Buckingham's a total fucking dick. So of course he did that. Like, of course, yeah. of course, he has uh, he has to control and take and like take. It has to be all in his hand. If it's not there, right, he, then fuck you. He probably thinks that the band is nothing without him. So he, he's got to be one of those people. I, I think we should just all you know go through whether or not we would recommend this. Uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and say. Uh, you should just probably listen to another album that came out around the same time, like uh, Physical Graffiti by Led Zeppelin, which is just fucking amazing. And this album, uh, not so much for me. I would 100%. <laughs> I, mean, I think you should go listen to both of those albums. Yeah, nah. especially if you want to listen to how you can pan things and how to take use of the stereo spectrum if you're going to be recording something listen to this album because Lindsey buckingham is a total asshat but he knows what he's doing when he's in a studio God, i don't want to hit him i want to hit him in the face um i think that i think that honestly i think you should listen to this album front to back i'm sure that you know the hits and that's totally okay still listen to the album I think that, again, like I said in the very beginning, it's it's um, a very, very important uh, thing for women at the time. And I think that it's, of like, it, this, this sticks out in terms of albums for strong women uh, in music. So, uh, I mean, and how, how many, how many, like, female artists and singers were inspired from Stevie Nicks? And from, She's such a badass. Yeah, um, and I mean her fashion, all these things that she did were just—they—they they live on so long and so powerfully. She did; she was such an impactful. She still is an impactful person. Um, but it is very important if, to to take note that this is a powerful, a, a very powerful feminine album, um, mm-hmm. and that is that is a very cool thing from a rock album in the seventies. Yeah. Uh, so I would strongly suggest you listen to the album just because it's good. But also keep that in mind as it's kind of, uh, it, I would say it's very historical. It's a very musical, historical album. And that if you ever took a class on like, you know, 60s and 70s music, if you didn't have to listen to this album, then the class was fucked up because this album is very relevant to the time. Adam? No, I agree. I think it's a very important album of its time and worth listening to, even if you don't like it like Jackson does. Um, especially just put all those songs that you do recognize into context of the other songs on the album that you maybe haven't heard. Even though, I mean, we didn't like the you know all the songs on the album. I think they it is all together one like album. It is pretty great, so it's worth listening to. Uh, obviously, it's one of the top selling albums of all time. So, be kind of weird not to recommend it. I do like all the songs on the album. Shut the fuck up. Every well, one of them. You're the only one. So. <laughs> So all right, if you like all the songs, then name them. <laughs> uh, uh, don't open your iPad. Don't open your iPad. No, 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 no. I like all of them, okay? All right, Dave, take us out with the order of the songs, please. Don't open your iPad. <laughs> okay. Remember, uh, there's only nine of them. Secondhand news. Uh, Doesn't have to be in order. No, I no, well, it does. It has I'm going to try. I'm going to try. I, I think order news. is important. Second in news, dreams. Uh, never going back again. Um, go your own way. Eh. 
You fucked Shit. up. Canceled. Get out of here, you dummy. <laughs> Don't stop. I didn't want to stop. Thanks for listening, everybody. <laughs> All right. Thanks for listening. Bad jokes. Bam, bam, bam. Thanks for listening. Um, mm, yeah, baby. <laughs> Jackson just gave up and started eating pizza. Yeah, dude. He got up and just was like, time for pizza. He was like, episode's over. <laughs>